How you guys doing? <sighs> Dwight, everybody say what's up to Dwight this morning. We're staying salty today. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Delay the suspense, that's salt. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says that you, you, you all, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, he asks, how will it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, y'all, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl, but they, they put it on its stand that it shines light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to get out of town alone, and we decided to stay close so that we could make the most of our limited opportunity, so we went up north to the Napa Valley, which was a great reminder that we live in a beautiful, wonderful place. Napa looks like the Tuscan countryside. There's wineries everywhere. This time of year, the crowds are light, the hills are green, and so even though there are no leaves or grapes on the vines, just feels like you've traveled to another world. On the way to our, our restaurant, we see this castle up in Calistoga, which if you ever have an opportunity to tour this castle, it's crazy. All these rocks were imported from Tuscany, crazy. And we're thinking, this is, this is a different place. And so we go to dinner up in Calistoga, and as we leave the restaurant, since it's winter, the sun is already down, and it's pitch black outside, and it's crazy how different Napa is at night, right? No crowds, so no cars, no headlights, no street lights. We're in the country. No communities or homes to light the place up. It's just abject darkness driving down the highway back towards St. Helena, and then we come around a corner... And off in the distance, a few miles away, we, we see that castle again, just lit up in the midst of the darkness, a beacon of light, a, a city on a hill. And immediately my, my thought went to this passage that we've been studying in Matthew 5, that, that sure enough, Jesus did not lie, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Imagine what it would be like to be walking through Israel, maybe walking from the Galilee down towards the Dead Sea, towards Jerusalem, and coming around the corner and going up the hill, ascending the hill towards Jerusalem, and just seeing the beacon of hope that is the holy city as you rise out of the desert. An illuminated city in the midst of the darkness of the desert, the darkness of night, is a beacon of hope. It's a, a moment of, of refreshing to the soul. It's a, a reminder that we've almost arrived, that, that there's something beautiful happening up there. And this is how Jesus describes us as his people. You, he says, 
You are the light of the world. You are a city on the hill. Let your light shine. What does it mean to let your light shine? Is it like what Steph Curry did last night? 0.7 seconds left on the clock when the crazy three-point buzzer beater goes in over in Kevin Durant and his team, whatever they're called. <laughs> or is the interview after the game when they asked Steph Curry, what, what is the key to being successful, still successful after this many years in your, in your career? And he said three things. Number one, my faith in God. Amen. Number two, the power of my team. And number three, my love for the game. It lets his light shine. I think of Brock Purdy. Have you heard of Brock Purdy? Quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, Super Bowl bound quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, the, the runt of the draft last year. When in the press conference after the Lions game, they asked him, what brought you to this place where you can win and overcome the 17-point deficit at the half? And, and Brock Purdy says, I'll read his quote. He says, yeah, honestly, I think it's a testament to God and, and where he's taken me in my life. I've never been the biggest, fastest, strongest, any of that. I, I feel like I always have to sort of fight for what I get, work for what I get. But, but God has always given me an opportunity, whether that was in high school, college, and obviously in the NFL. Getting drafted last, people overlook you, that kind of stuff. And all you need is an opportunity to watch and see what he does. I put my faith and trust in him. He's gotten me to where I'm at. When I'm down 17 at half, all right, God, you've taken me here. Win or lose, I'm going to glorify you. That's my peace. That is the joy, the steadfastness. That is where I get it from. That is the honest truth. I leaned into that. Sure enough, we were able to come back. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they won. They won. They beat the Lions last week. I always have this big moral crisis. What jersey do I wear on Jersey Sunday? Right? Brock Purdy made it easy for me two weeks ago. We see these brilliant examples of folks who let their light shine in the world, and sometimes we wonder, why is that so hard for me? Why am I so tempted to put this light under a bowl, as Jesus says, and realizes about the human condition? Why is it that when people ask me about my faith, I'm tempted to clam up, I start sweating, my heart starts beating? Why is it that I just want to like fly under the radar, that I don't want anyone to think that I'm different, that I don't want to stand out, that I'm terrified to have an opportunity to testify to who he is? Why is it that when all we have to do is let what's in us just come out and get out of the way, everything in us wants to like put a big bowl over this light that God has created in us? That's the question I want to explore this morning from Matthew chapter 5. And I, and I love that, that Jesus in this passage is, is so realistic about who we are. We are people who are tempted to put our light under a bowl. We are tempted to lose our saltiness, as we'll talk about in a moment. But how do we become people who, who find the purity and find the courage to be who God has created us to be in the world outside our doors? That's what we're going to see as we look at salt and we look at light today. If we take notes, we start with a, a bunch of questions about salt. That's always the biggest question that comes out when we talk about this passage is, why in the world does Jesus say, y'all, Maddie, this is for you, <laughs> our salt, 
or salt. You know what it tastes like? Salty. It's salty. Why are we the salt of the earth? Right? Because salt, number one, write this down, is an unassuming substance. I have to believe he chose it intentionally as an unassuming substance. He could have said, you are the kings of the earth. You're the mighty oaks of this earth. You are the lions of the earth. Not the Detroit lions, but the roaring lions of the earth. But Jesus looks at his disciples as the crowds gather on, and he says, you're, you're salt. Maddie, that's for you. You're salt. It's an unassuming substance. Salt, number two, is a foreign substance. I found irony in the sense that Jesus says you're the salt of the earth because salt is not of the earth. Salt comes from the sea. Whether it's the ocean as water's evaporated off and salt is collected or in those days mostly on the banks of lakes like the great uh, salt sea, the dead, the dead sea in southern Israel. This actually, all this salt is from the dead sea in southern Israel. It's, It's a foreign substance. It came from the sea and was deposited on the earth, and then it's collected by men to be useful, made useful in this land. It's a it's a foreign substance. It's not from here, it's from somewhere else. Like Jesus, like Peter says, we are aliens and strangers here. It is a foreign substance. And salt is also a useful substance. And if you study the commentaries, there's one on your outline today. That's what they always go into is what, what about salt is Jesus referring to? Is it the fact that salt is a, a flavor enhancer, right? You go to a, a fancy restaurant and they bring you your steak and then the guy just comes and like salts it up, right? They point to the fact that in those days it was a preservative. You would cure meats, you'd rub the salt on your steak or you'd rub it on your fish and you'd be able to preserve it, dehydrate it, so to speak, and, or in a way and uh, make it last longer. It preserves things on this earth. If you want to listen to the podcast, AJ and I spent a lot of time talking about what salt can do. They believed in those days that salt was a tooth whitener. We do not believe that. I don't think so. You can ask your dentist. They put it under their tongue and bing, white strips, right? Salt is a useful substance. And what Jesus draws out as he continues to describe salt is that salt is also a pure substance. A pure substance. I mean, kind of like snow, Right, and the scriptures des- describes like your sin is it's scarlet, but God will make it white as snow. We could have said white as salt, but that sounds less poetic, right? Because salt is an unassuming substance, but it's a pure substance. Or the chemi- chemists among us might be rolling their eyes at Jesus because salt cannot lose its saltiness. It's a stable chemical compound. It's NaCl. It's it's salt. Right? You can fill this with muddy water and shake it up, and you can boil it, dissolve the salt, and you'll taste it, and it will taste. Salty, because you cannot destroy salt. It's a pure substance, unassuming, foreign, useful, pure substance. So why does Jesus use salt to describe us? A couple of reasons. Number one is that God wants to influence this world through your presence in it. Maybe to spice things up a bit. Maybe to preserve it from decay. Maybe to whiten the teeth of your friends, I don't know, right? But God wants to influence the world through your presence in it. I think today about Super Bowl parties this afternoon. Right, in a few hours, we're all going to leave the salt shaker called Three Crosses. And Maddie, this is for you. We're going to be scattered. (laughs) 
scattered throughout the East Bay, scattered to wherever we go, kind of disseminated around, and our salty selves are going to be walking into other people's homes. Maybe other people's selves are going to be walking into our homes, and we're going to find ourselves in a place wondering, okay, God, why have you placed me in this location amongst all these folks, right? Maybe it's believing people, unbelieving people, work friends, school friends, family, whatever it is. Sometimes it gets a little bit salty, but not in the Bible way, right? And and it's a question we can ask ourselves, God, how would you have me to influence this party? Remember, salt is unassuming, it's humble. I don't think God's plan for you is to stand by the fridge or the punch bowl and give a judging eye to anyone who comes for a drink, right? Or to lecture someone like, wow, more dip? Don't you know the leading cause of death in America is heart disease, right? I don't think that's the kind of saltiness Jesus is calling us to, maybe, in your context. But part of the question we can ask ourselves even as we drive to that place is, God, is there a way I can be used by you in this place? Can I somehow light this place up like salt lights up steak? Somehow, can my presence right, preserve this party from decay? Right? If someone needs a ride home or if things are getting out of hand, can I step in and salt it up a bit, right? Just make sure that things stay cool. Can I keep my wits about me so that I have control of my own body so that I can be used by God in this place? Because God calls me to be a vessel to be used by him. What does it mean to be salty at your Super Bowl party today? There's going to be enough salt in the food. And so how can you be the salt of the earth in the community? God wants to use you to influence this place. And this also teaches us, kind of learning about salt, that there is power in being different. There's power in being different. I always think when I studied this passage of an opportunity I had to be salty uh, when I was a post-college kid. I had a buddy who got married, invited me to his bachelor party. Him and his friends were not believers. I've been his best friend since elementary school. I was and am a believer. And, and the whole party, I'm thinking, why am I in this place? I'm so different than these guys. I'm not doing the same things they're doing at this establishment. I'm not even going into that establishment. I'm sitting in the limo by myself for hours while these guys are in some club, and I'm thinking, I'm so different from them. Why am I even here? I'm like salt that just tastes weird in this environment. But then, right, two in the morning comes around, and who's going to drive everybody home? Who's going to make sure that we go to bed on time? Who's going to make sure we don't do anything stupid that makes us not get married in the morning, right? It's me, Salty Danny, right? That's that's my job, right? And in that moment, I realized as, as ashamed I was and quizzical I was about why God would even have me in that place, I realized there's power in being the different one and the one who is able to navigate the rest of this night with clarity. There's power in being different. If you come on Wednesday nights, we're... In the 3C Equip class, which is the one that happens in here, we're going through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is a, a story about what it looks like to be salty in a, por- in a pagan, foreign world. And Daniel and his friends are taken from Israel, kidnapped, and brought into Babylon. They're teenagers. And Babylon tries to assimilate them to the environment and the culture and the worldview and the religion of the Babylonian practices and faith. And Daniel and his friends refuse. They stay salty. They say, we're not going to be affected by you, right? They're going to pray that y'all will be affected by us. And so they refuse to, to celebrate and eat the same foods that the Babylonians eat that are 
given to them. They refuse to bow their knee to the king. They refuse to stop praying to their God. They humbly and quietly go into their room, Daniel does, and he closes the door and the windows are open, unfortunately, and he's praying to God and he's spotted, he's arrested, he's thrown in the lion's den, but he doesn't lose his saltiness. He stays faithful in this foreign land and God delivers him from that place and rises him up. He's like the Brock Purdy, probably more famous than Brock Purdy. of the Babylonian Empire as the captivity continues. He's, in, he's a person of influence. He's different than the world around him. He doesn't bow to the pressure to conform to the standards of the world that he's placed in. This is where Jesus goes next as we read this passage about salt. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, there's some inspiration Jesus gives about how we are salty people, but, but there's also a warning that Jesus gives us as we go and attempt to live as his salty people. Maddie, this is for you in the world outside our doors. <laughs> Start a collection. I got more in the back. And the warning that Jesus gives is that we can lose our influence when we become contaminated by the world. We can lose our influence when we become contaminated by the world. Lose our influence. I've been studying this week as I've been thinking about the Christian's role in the world outside our doors. Just kind of the, not necessarily the decline of Christianity, because Christianity is actually kind of rising, especially in the Bay right now, but the, the decline of Christianity as a, a religion, a positive religious uh, expression to the folks outside of our doors. Right? It's called uh, being a Christian in the negative world. Right? And if you remember, if you were alive 50 years ago, being a Christian was, by and large, a, a positive thing. Right? If you're looking for a plumber, you try to find a Christian one because you know that they're not going to mess you up with the pricing and all that. Right? Christianity was viewed as a positive thing. 30 years ago, right, the 80s, the 90s, Christianity was a neutral thing, right? Say, hey, good for you, right? But there's other religions too. It's a neutral thing. In the early 2000s, mid-2010, Christianity was a, was a negative thing. I'm like, oh, I don't know about Christians, right? right? And we started to kind of hide. And even in the last decade, since probably 2014, there's an author named Aaron Wren who talks about the fact that we've declined in this place, that Christianity is not even merely seen as a negative in our world, but it's also almost an immoral expression in the world, especially when it comes to issues of sex, sexuality, and gender. People look at Christians who hold to this orthodox view of life and faith and the worldview encapsulated in the scriptures and through the traditions of the church, and they say, not just that's not for me, not just I don't like it, but you're a sinner, that's immoral, that's bigoted, that's... That's bad. And so here we are in the Bay Area, one of the most progressive places in the country, trying to live out our faith in the midst of a season in our world where people find out that you're a Christian, you might get excluded or fired or removed from projects at work, ostracized from your family, not invited to things at your kid's school, kicked off the board, those types of things. And yet Jesus gives us the warning not to lose our saltiness. But what do we do when all the forces in the world are, are tempting us to, to try to hide <laughs> and, 
and not be distinct, not stand out, not be salty anymore. And we find ourselves, maybe you found yourself doing this, we kind of start to assimilate ourselves. We start to first kind of cover up our Christian language and speech. And if people say, hey, what did you do on Sunday? You're like, oh, good, I went to a Super Bowl party. I don't have to say I went to church on Sunday. And we keep it under the bowl, so to speak. And then we start to assimilate. We start talking and behaving and acting, even if it's just play acting like the people at church or the people at school or the people at work because we want to fit in. We don't want to let, them know, not let us, we don't want them to know that we're different. And then eventually some of us get to the place that we start actually conforming our, our belief system to the belief system of this world. And we move away from the scriptures and we start picking and choosing and kind of watering down and trying to become a little less salty because it's abrasive, because it's distasteful, because the world says it's immoral. And so over time, we as a culture and we as individuals can lose our, our saltiness. It says if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for, for anything except to be trampled underfoot. And I kind of imagined, right, somebody going to the store and picking up a bunch of salt in Jesus' day. It's probably more than they'd pick up, so maybe this one. Salt in Jesus' day, and the kid's walking home with the salt, and then trips, I won't do it because of Maddie, trips, just gets it all over the dirt, right? And the kid's down there, like, scooping up the salt into the salt container and, like, brings home this, like, old dirty jar of salt to his mom or his dad and says, okay, I got the salt from the store. And they look at it, and they're like, that's disgusting. Right? You want me to put this on your chicken? Like, what? This is no longer good for what? Anything says the mom, hey, why don't you go throw this out in the yard on the path to the front door so that, right, plants don't grow and it dries it up or whatever, right? Melt the snow somewhere, right? You can throw it on the street, but it's not good for our food anymore. Jesus says that can happen to you as you lose your purity with your faith in the midst of this world, as you blend in too much, as you lose your saltiness. And so what do we do when we're in that place? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I have just lost my saltiness in my context. I, no one knows I'm a believer in my workplace. And my family used to make fun of me for being a Christian, so I just started acting like them, and now they've forgotten all about it. How do I rebound from that? Man, I've morally failed. I, I messed up. I'm, no, I'm not good for anything anymore, right? And I think in my mind when Jesus talks about this, about people who've fallen from grace, I think of pastors around the country who've fallen into moral failure, and they're no longer good for ministry, but they're good for an example of what not to do. I think of people in the church who lose their faith and walk away, and inside their own hearts, there's still a longing for things to be made right, but in terms of their effectiveness in the world, they've lost it. What does Jesus mean when, when he says, how can it be made salty again? Now, I think if I'm the kid and I've fallen on the ground and I've filled my salt shaker dirt full of dirt, I mean, it might be, be very difficult to clean salt out, but I'm probably walking home and what I'm thinking is, I gotta find a way to get all the dirt <laughs> out of this jar. All right, so if you find yourself in a place where you've made, been made dirty by the world or dirty by your behavior or whatever it is, and you're feeling like that kid coming to God today and saying, how do I get the dirt out? Here's the good news. Christianity is all about getting the dirt out. Jesus was the one, the saltiest one who ever lived. And Jesus lived a pure life, an unassuming life, a humble life, a powerful life. He was the foreign one who came from heaven to earth 
And yet he was turned on for his life of righteousness. And he was the one who was cast out and trampled overfoot by men or underfoot by men. And yet on the third day after Jesus was crucified, he rose from the grave and came out of the tomb, ushering in the kingdom of God and preaching a message of forgiveness and purity for all who will repent and turn to God. And if you find yourself in a place where you're thinking, how will I be made salty again? That is the message of the gospel, that Jesus can make all things right. He can cleanse you. He could get the dirt out. He could even put you on a path towards righteousness to restore your relationships with your family, the brokenness in your workplace, whatever it is. He, he can use you again. He can activate you again. Because at the end of the day, the more you know about salt, the more you know that as dirty as it gets, it'll never lose its saltiness. It just needs to be made clean. And the last thing I see as we look at this text and then I'll let you move on to the artichoke dip and chicken wings. Is, <laughs> is that there is power in being salty together. You may have noticed when I initially spoke out the passage that I said the word y'all a lot. I was trying to draw out that in this text, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's not saying, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying, Y'all are the salt of the earth. There's power in being salty together. The same thing is true when he moves to the analogy about the light of the world. Y'all are the light of the world. A city on a hill. Not a guy with a flashlight on the hill. A city on a hill. A community of believers gathering in a place has so much illuminating presence for the world, potential at least for the world, that all you need to do is get out of the way and let your light shine. Right? You are the light of the world, he says. A town set on a hill cannot be hidden. And the one command in this passage we've studied this morning is let your light shine. Right? Not shine your light. Let your light shine. Because if you're a lamp for the gospel, you are a holder of the illuminating power of God. And your job is, A, not to cover it up, and B, to let it do its thing in you. There's power in being salty, in light together. I've gotten to talk to a bunch of people these last few weeks who are living as light in the world outside our doors. I met with someone who was baptized recently, and they said, ever since I've been baptized, I, I have a different lease on life. I go to work, and when people ask me what I did this weekend, or they ask me about my faith, I tell them. It's like a the barrier has been removed. And she said, as I tell them, I was always so scared before, but now that I just let my light shine, she didn't say that, but I'm saying it, let her light shine. So I'm blown away at the response. People come back to me and they say, I'd like to go to church with you. What church do you go to, right? She's like, I never expected that. I met with somebody else the last few weeks who's the first believer in their family. And now they're wrestling with what it means to raise his kids differently than he was raised, to treat his uh, ex-wife differently than she deserves to be treated, or he used to want to treat her, whatever it is, right? And just trying to navigate what does it mean to live as a Christian in the midst of my family and pray that God uses me to change the trajectory of this place. I talk to people who come to church and they say, hey, man, I just want to get clean because I want to be a better example for my boys at home. I want to be the light of God in my household. 
I'm going to let it shine. And so as we close, my question is, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to be a person of influence, a quiet, passive person of influence maybe at a Super Bowl party or at a workplace tomorrow? What does it mean to bring your whole self to work and not just bring your intelligence and your body and, or your sleepiness, whatever you bring to work with you, but to bring your faith with you to work as well? What does it mean to live on mission in your school? We saw a video a few weeks ago about Cash, who started a Christian club at Tennyson High School. In the first few weeks, months of the club, people made fun of her. They'd come in, eat their lunch, and heckle her sermons. But then over time, people started coming to faith, coming to church, because she just put herself out there. She stayed salty in that place. And this church, Three Crosses, is literally a city on a hill. It literally cannot be hidden. At Christmas time, we light it up, right? So it cannot be hidden. And our strategy up here to, to transform the East Bay with the gospel is very simple. We gather, folks, here, this is it. We gather. This is us this morning. Salt in the salt shaker. We grow, right? We take out the dirtiness. We get equipped for the world outside our door, doors. And then we go. Right? It's just picture that God, like, has one of those, like, uh, shaker things on this thing and flips us over and, like, right? We go back into our homes. We go back into our workplaces. We go back wherever we go to bring, not to be necessarily, but to bring the light of the world wherever he's placed us. So stay salty this week. Let your light shine this week. Let your coworkers, your family, even the Chiefs fans among you would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray, and we'll respond in song. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who's coming in here feeling not like these salt containers, feeling impure, dirty, a mix of the world and their faith, or a mix of sin and righteousness, or just upside down or full of mud, whatever it is. We pray that if they hear nothing else, they would hear that you are for them that you laid down your own life and took it back up again so that you can give forgiveness and healing to all who ask for it. Pray that you would give folks the courage to repent, turn from their way that they're walking now and get on the road that leads to life. And as they even start to turn, they'll feel your embrace enveloping them, knowing that you are ready to receive any who turn to you for forgiveness. I pray for wisdom, for discernment, for purity as we go out of this place, that you would give us a testimony to live in the world outside our doors. Or maybe it's like some of these athletes who can stand up and preach the gospel or give testimony to the greatness of God, but maybe it's like salt, a quiet power. Let us be different than the world. Let us believe differently. Let us be confident and humble and servant-minded and compassionate. Let us lay down our lives for our friends, all in following our Master Jesus. Pray that you would use us to transform this region for the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's through us preaching the gospel, us inviting folks to church, or us just simply serving them and bringing your presence face-to-face -face with the ones that you love who don't know you yet. Pray that you be with us today as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.